Hello and welcome to a special Project Bijou edition of the Data Protection Tea Break podcast. Project Bijou is a social initiative we launched in the Bailiwick of Guernsey in May 2021. With this project, we're encouraging everyone to share stories, knowledge and experiences relating to ethical data use in a way that benefits everybody. The project aims to support and nurture positive cultural change around how people and organisations treat people's data. We hope to engage people on a cultural level, a level that goes beyond the law. In today's episode, we're hearing from Hugh Thomas, counsel at the law firm Carey Olson, who we've invited to the podcast as part of Project Bijou. So let's hand over to Hugh, who is going to talk us through some issues around managing behavioural risk. My name is Hugh Thomas uh, from Carey Olson, and I'm an employment and privacy lawyer. Um, a story, anecdote or incident. So very recently I was speaking to a very good friend of mine who's uh, a very senior privacy lawyer in London and he was relaying to me the story of a late night transaction in which he was up against deadlines, he was working very hard, he was receiving a, a large number of very urgent emails from his colleagues and, uh, and counterparts at other firms and he got an email from uh, a corporate partner of his which was, uh, should we say, very rude, uh, very abrupt, very demanding and very urgent. Uh, and in short, it got this particular partner down to a T. And what the email said was that the partner in question was having trouble uh, accessing the data room where the transaction documents were, um, and he needed some uh, urgent assistance. And um, my friend, the recipient of this email, uh, didn't think. He um, started trying to help. Uh, and um, one of the emails that he received then asked him for his login details to this data room. Uh, and it was only at this point and subsequently when the partner in question actually phoned him uh, that it became clear that there was a breach in progress of uh, their email systems and somebody had compromised uh, an email inbox was sitting there waiting to see what further access could be had and have obviously chosen uh, an occasion in which um, there were urgent things going on, uh, price sensitive things going on uh, and um, somebody, uh, a fraudster, was selecting their moment very carefully. Um, So what happened? Well, um, they shut the uh, mailbox off, they never found out who it was. But what it illustrates for me is that um, behavioural risk in particular is everywhere and even the most experienced uh, of data privacy professionals, and this is somebody who uh, advises on cyber security, trains people on cyber security and uh, has been working in data privacy issues for the best part of 20 years, if he can fall for something like this, anybody can fall for something like this. that's a lesson to organisations everywhere, that um, it doesn't really matter how many times you tell people. Um, if your um, policies and procedures, your information security arrangements don't take into account the, peop- the way in which people actually behave, um, sooner or later you're going to be caught out. So one of the critical things for me from that story is um, make sure that you understand and manage and deal with behavioural risk uh, as a separate risk category, particularly when it comes to information security. Um, What is the biggest challenge to positive and cultural uh, behavioural change in how people 
uh, treat personal data and how do you think this can be overcome? Well, that anecdote, that story, I think illustrates it very well. We're simply not very good with information security. We're certainly not very good uh, with other people's personal data. And in particular, we're not particularly careful, generally speaking, with our own personal data. Uh, if we were, we wouldn't have smartphones. Uh, we wouldn't have Facebook. We wouldn't have Instagram. Um, so what's the best way in which we can drive culture and behavioural change? Well, in large part, it's education. Um, getting to people to understand uh, their own privacy um, and the importance of that and making sure that they understand then how that feeds through into other people's um, uh, expectations and right to privacy. Um, but I think it's more than that. Uh, I think it's, it's designing um, policies and procedures and ways of training and communicating with employees in particular that take into account people's actual behaviour uh, and I've lost count of the number of times where I've seen policies and procedures that have been written, um, obviously with a checklist in, in, in mind. They go on for tens of pages. And one thing you can guarantee, or two things you can guarantee, the first and most critical is nobody's ever going to read those policies and procedures. Uh, the second uh, issue, of course, is that even if they read them, they're not going to remember 10, 12, 20 pages of text uh, and the idea that those policies and procedures are actually going to drive people's behaviour is, is you know, pretty absurd. So what does that mean? Well, you need to get people in the room who understand how to write policies and procedures in such a way that people will read them and remember them. And that tends to mean short, uh, highlighted um, summaries of information that people will take on board and remember and hopefully act upon. Um, but it's more than that, of course, um, that um, you know, getting those right people in the room is just the beginning. Um, because if we move on to the next question, which is how can businesses get started on this journey in a commercial and effective way, I think you know, one of the key things that, that organisations can do is think about the expertise they've already got within their walls. So um, they may have uh, cybersecurity professionals, they may have uh, IT professionals, but the other thing they're going to have um, particularly in financial services and things like that, um, uh, are people people. Um, by people people, I mean compliance professionals, HR professionals, and to a lesser extent lawyers, those who understand how uh, people actually behave and how to go about changing those behaviours. Um, and if you can leverage off the, that expertise, particularly in things like training and policy writing and communication of expectations to employees, you'll be in a much better place than if you simply go out to external consultants. Um, obviously, there's a place, um, particularly when it comes to technical issues, uh, for those kind of consultants. But ultimately, what you're looking at first, in my view, is trying to leverage off the expertise and knowledge you've got in your own organisation to try and uh, drive people's behaviour properly. Um, and that probably goes a bit beyond uh, looking at things like online training packages and that sort of thing. It goes into, you know your organisation, you know its priorities, you know the kind of data it has, and the kind of information it has. How can you best convince employees to start taking the you know, um, privacy seriously and following the, the kinds of policies and procedures you're, you're putting into place? And you know, what that comes down to is, is sitting there thinking about what you've got, how you process it, um, what people have got access to it, what they do with it, 
Uh, and what are the risks that arise from that kind of data processing and how best do you address those risks, particularly the behavioral risks? Uh, and you know, by behavioral risks, I mean um, uh, risk to personal data and privacy that arise through um, both deliberate misbehavior on the part of your uh, employees and um, accidental misbehavior. And the latter of those is almost certain to be far, far more common. Um, so how do you uh, how do you start addressing it? You leverage off the expertise and knowledge you've got um, within your own organizations. Uh, and what do I consider the benefits are for jurisdictions that get this right? Well, if you look across the Channel Islands, um, both Guernsey and Jersey, their most important industries even now, uh, for the foreseeable future, um, are derived from financial services. Essentially, financial services are about personal data. Um, there are very few um, forms of financial service, I think, that, that don't deal in, in uh, personal data to quite a large degree. Um, so that means being good at financial services, certainly in the 21st century, means being good at confidentiality, being good at data protection, being good ultimately at privacy. Uh, and if you're not, um, and if you're not good at cybersecurity, you're not uh, good at keeping um, uh, your clients' uh, personal data, both confidential and, and, uh, and lawfully used, you'll find that, that um, generally speaking, we'll, we'll begin to not be regarded as being particularly good at financial services. Um, so those are, my, uh, uh, those are my answers to those questions. But what it comes down to for me in summary is we need to start thinking about people's behaviour within organisations. And that doesn't just mean um, the way in which we want them to behave. Um, we've got to start thinking and about and addressing the, the way in which people actually do behave. Um, and if you are not seeing uh, at least um, a few data breaches per year, hopefully not large ones, then you're missing something as an organisation. Um, so uh, just as with any other risks, um, if they're likely, they're going to rise. And if they don't, then you need to start asking questions about whether you're seeing them. Thank you. Thank you to Hugh for that insight into what we can all do to start better managing behavioural risk by focusing on how humans behave in reality. And thank you for listening to this special edition of the podcast. There are lots of other episodes you can explore via odpa.gg forward slash podcasts. And if you're interested in finding out more about Project Bijou, head over to odpa.gg forward slash Bijou. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.